Welcome to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mandana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. What's up? Konnichiwa. Buongiorno. Hola. <laughs> We're so international. Well, you know, got to give a shout out to the international listeners. Yeah, it still blows my mind that there's so many of you listening to us all around the world. Um, it's been a really fun summer, but summer's coming to an end, slowly but surely. As all summers do. <laughs> and this summer has been especially fun because we've been running these promotions on Fountain, streaming sats to our listeners, getting new listeners, uh, meeting new people. It's been a wild ride. It's been wild, but it's been fun. You know, we give away about 150,000 sats an episode to the various listeners on Fountain. So... That's um, that's kind of cool. Yeah, we balling like that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I feel like in a couple of years, that number is going to sound a lot more baller than it does today. Um, it's just mindset, baby. I'm going to say it's baller. Our listeners can think it's baller. But if you're not listening to us on Fountain, definitely download the app. Start streaming us on there so that you can pull some sats because we're not going to be doing these promotions forever. We're stopping this on Labor Day. Yeah, like we can't run them forever, but it's a fun little experiment to see how, you know, the app's promotion model works and how many people we can introduce to the pod. It's been really fun. Every week we seem to get new folks and we get our returning listeners. So we appreciate all of you. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate uh, that you spend, you know, about 30 minutes with us every week. Yeah, and we're not going to never do it again either. We'll keep it reserved to more like bigger, important episodes that we think are meatier than our week to week. Mm, meaty. So is today meaty, babe? Like, what are we talking about? You got anything juicy for me? Juicy? Wait, but before you say anything, what's the block height for today? So block height isn't a per day thing. Block height is every 10 minutes. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. I'm so, a Bitcoin noob. Give so, me some slack. Well, you're not wrong. It's just that it's not the block height for the day. It's the block height for the moment. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, the block height is 749.312. And on Bitcoin Island, you can buy 4,089 acres for a dollar. Still a steal. Still a steal. So back to the juice. What's new, babe? What's going on? Any drama? I mean, there's always drama. There's always drama in the financial <laughs> world, yeah. I mean, when it comes to Bitcoin, there's always drama. Dish. So the biggest thing that has happened since we last recorded is that the Ethereum Foundation came out and announced the the what's called the merge day, right? And so we've talked about this on the podcast before where uh, I have some Ethereum that is currently locked up on Coinbase. Before Ian saw the light, he was dabbling in other coins. He was a playboy in the crypto world. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you are into Ethereum, you could be considered an F-boy. I had some Ethereum from when I first got into crypto. And when Ethereum was doing this move to Ethereum 2, they had this new feature in Ethereum where you could stake your Ethereum and just earn a little interest on the Ethereum that you had. But in order to earn that interest, you had to lock it up into the new protocol that was coming, Ethereum. Which you opted into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one no one forced me to do that. Mm-hmm. But what happened was they didn't really ship the product on time. They were supposed to do this back in January. Um, here it is, August. And they've been kind of nebulous around when 
it was actually going to ship. So they made an announcement September 15th, 16th, somewhere around there. So in a month. Yeah. They're going to do what, what is officially being called the merge. But you're still not going to be able to take your Ethereum out. So you get your Ethereum, but you can't cash it out. I'll have as much control over it as I do now. Mm. And for the purposes that I need, which is I want to get my money back. Yeah. To buy Bitcoin. To buy Bitcoin, right? <laughs> when they made the announcement, there were a lot of people who weren't really following the news that kind of were like, it's great that they're announcing this. This is like a sell the news type of announcement. So whenever it does merge and it gets unlocked, everyone's going to sell that wants to get out to expect a price drop. And then basically Bitcoin Twitter jumped in immediately. It was like, no, no, no. Read the fine print. You actually still won't be able to take your, your Ethereum out after this merge. Uh, withdrawals are going to be a future feature. Mm. <laughs> I guess that's a little juicy, but okay, what else is going on? So another big thing was that they, they being the Dutch government, arrested a software developer. This guy made some... Not a software developer. <laughs> well, it's very important to say that because the reasons for why he was arrested are super suspect and like i don't really understand what type of precedent they're trying to set but it's pretty scary so this guy made some code called tornado cash and it's not just a single person but it's, it's open source when you make open source code you don't really have control over how people use your code and there's been a number of like court cases at least in america that have established that code is the equivalent of speech and so software kind of falls into the free speech category so in theory He's being arrested for code that he wrote, which is basically arresting him for speech. By American legal standards, but this is the Dutch government. It's the Dutch government, sure. But here's what happens. I'm not going to get into the details. Let's just say it lets people move money around. As the Bitcoiners have been saying for a long time, Ethereum is not decentralized. Like at any point in time, the right government can make the right call to one of two people and basically shut down all of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And the pushback on that has always been like, well, that would never happen, or like, they'd have to have a really good reason to do that or whatever. Well, that's basically what they've done here. They said that Tornado Cash was illegal. They- uh, Or doing illegal things. Doing illegal things, you know, supporting illegal yeah. activity. Mm -hmm. They called Infura. Infura is one of the major players in the Ethereum ecosystem. And they said, blacklist all of these Ethereum addresses. And Fura said, we're complying with the law. We're not going to allow any more transactions between us and these blacklisted um, Ethereum addresses. Which basically, like, if Infura had said no, the next call is to Amazon to tell Amazon to shut down Infura. So it's only like two phone calls to make. Either Infura goes along with it or Amazon comes in and shuts you down. Ethereum's like fundamental and a lot of these like non-Bitcoin companies like their fundamental flaw which is you are centralized has been exposed during this like tornado cash incident mm. because they actually use the tools that bitcoiners have been saying these are the tools they will use to shut down anything that's not as decentralized as bitcoin some more like i told you so is happening another i told you so mm -hmm. okay a little juicy that that's actually really juicy it's juicy because you could not do the same thing to Bitcoin, even if you wanted There's to. There's no one to call. There's no one to call. Yeah. So you could say like, it's illegal to process Bitcoin transactions in the United States, right? And let's say all the miners in the United States had to shut down. That doesn't mean that there's a miner somewhere on the planet mm -hmm. that won't receive that transaction and still process it. Mm -hmm. So wherever it's legal to process the transaction, if there's a Bitcoin miner, your transaction is getting through. 
Yeah. Bitcoin, again, proves decentralized is the best. So Ethereum's really like struggling right now. Well, yeah. And this is why we did that episode. I forget which number it was, but basically saying like, Ethereum is the scam of all scams. Yeah. And a lot of episode 11. I feel like it's episode 11. Yeah. And on top of that, like the majority of the other altcoins, which are also scams in the sense of they have incentives that are to basically grow the value of the coin, Mm -hmm. not necessarily finish the project. Most of those are built on top of Ethereum. Right. And then you have like web applications. I don't want to make fun of these guys. I think the idea is really good, but like crypto kitties, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's built on top of, I think they migrated to Polkadot, but it was originally on Ethereum. It's a cool idea, but it's still like a NFT scam, Yeah. right? So you got NFTs, which are a scam, built on top of scam technology, which is probably built on top of scam technology, which is Ethereum. It's all a scam all the way up and down the stack. And Tornado Cash was just like a very easy example of that's how easy your entire operation can be shut down. Yeah, I wonder if this is going to cause like another supposed crypto crash or like a micro crypto crash where people just pull their money out because they're really seeing how vulnerable they are. What's gone on in the last like three months was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And most of the speculation has been wiped out one way or another. Um, But we are at a low. So usually people like to buy low. But they're still glutton for punishment. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm getting at. Like most people like to buy low. But if you remove the demand for buying because there's still more stuff happening then when you remove the demand it can go lower Mm -hmm. if you're in it for the price you're in it for the price but to me i think ethereum just as a fundamental technology is so flawed if you build anything on top of ethereum your foundation is sand i think tornado cash is that lesson it's playing out it's being proven yeah all right Okay, so that's Ethereum, but let's get back to Bitcoin. What's going on? Before we get back to Bitcoin, we got to talk about one thing that's not Bitcoin related, but it plays into the big thing that's happened. The housing market. Ooh, everyone's favorite topic. Yeah, I'm not going to go super deep into (laughs) a lot of the technicals, but there is one very interesting stat that has come out. I was literally watching this last night on YouTube. So like this is brand new real estate data for the United States. I'm on the edge of my seat, babe. Home listings. When people put their houses up for sale, that's considered a listing. Home listings have increased in certain cities by like over 100%. Mm. So these are cities that over the past like two or three years during COVID, they've seen their supply contract which is like pushed up the price of housing. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of talk about, well, who are buying these houses? And it was private equity firms in a lot of these cities. They'd go in and buy up most of the supply in a city. Individual homeowners don't all just come to the market at the same time and decide to all sell their house within the same 30 days. Also, this is like a strange time to sell. Usually it's spring, right? The timing is the timing, but the thing that's interesting is like, it seems like, it's a dumping of houses onto the market. It's a lot of these private equity firms that bought up all the housing Mm -hmm. that pushed the supply so low Mm -hmm. because of what's been happening with interest rates and the Fed and all this fun stuff. They're looking at the future housing market being like, we can't be holding these properties. We got to get out. And so they're dumping all these houses on the market. Austin, Texas was like one of the most interesting uh, markets where it was like 169% more houses on the market from like 30 days ago. It's like, they're just- Bitcoin capital of America. 
Sure, sure, sure. Bitcoiners, houses are about to be cheap there. They are going to be very cheap. <laughs> and for one particular reason, which is it's a vicious cycle downwards now. Yeah. When there's a lot of choice in the market, you don't have people making snap decisions in like 10 days. I know, like going 40 over asking right, with no right. contingencies, no inspection. Right. And so when you have a lot of options, people tend to do more shopping around mm -hmm. and it tends to just with more supply, the time to close is longer. Um, that's number one. Number two is even with these increased in supply, the price still hasn't come down yet. So people are listing these houses at the current market price, hoping that theirs is the house that sells before house prices come down. Yeah. And number three is while we as Bitcoiners don't necessarily believe in the Fed and their ability to like use interest rates to manipulate the markets, it is a thing that's going to happen. They're going to move the interest rates. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation that the interest rate's gonna go up. So when interest rates go up, housing prices go down. Housing prices go down. So there's a lot of people predicting that there's an increased interest rate, which is predicting now housing prices are gonna come down, plus increased supply compounds the housing prices going down. There are some people that are predicting like 10, 20% pricing drops, housing price drops in so. certain cities. I hope so. Um, it's so expensive right now to buy a house. I don't know how anyone does it. It is very challenging to buy a house for a lot of different reasons, and that's like a whole other topic. But bringing this back to Bitcoin, BlackRock, which was one of the largest buyers of all of these houses, it's a private equity firm, they were buying mm -hmm. a lot of these houses. Well, let's just assume that BlackRock is also one of these market participants that's dumping houses. Can we assume or do we know? A large number of houses are coming on the market. Mm -hmm. Individual home buyers tend not to coordinate like that. Right. So the assumption is that it's private equity. Mm -hmm. BlackRock is the largest private equity entity in the world. They have like $9 trillion in assets. Wow. Under management. So we can assume that some of these houses that are being dumped on the market are coming out of BlackRock's okay, portfolio. Okay, fair assumption. And so BlackRock, who's this private equity firm that is probably dumping houses on the market at the same time, is now offering their institutional clients Bitcoin as a potential investment vehicle. And so I would argue that BlackRock is trying to cycle all of their high wealth individuals out of the housing bubble that they just created because they were <laughs> buying up all these houses, right? and cycle them into Bitcoin, they will then start acquiring Bitcoin and cause a Bitcoin bubble for their high wealth individuals as well. All right, baby, let's get into it. Okay, I think it's really interesting that this private equity investment group is doing what we've been telling people, which is like stop investing in real estate it's not the sure thing like invest in Bitcoin and now they're doing it. So you heard it here first, <laughs> <laughs> not from them, but I'm sure them doing it gives it much more credibility. It gives that idea more credibility, right? Well, yeah, because you got to think about what BlackRock does. BlackRock as a private equity firm, they, um, you know, they take money from wealthy individuals and they kind of advise them what to do with it to earn a return on it or to just maintain a lifestyle. And so I'm not accusing BlackRock of causing the housing bubble. I'm accusing BlackRock of contributing to the housing bubble. Mm -hmm. They tend to move large amounts of money in whatever the best strategy is at the time. Technically, it's usually like the smaller individuals, like you said, 
that can be more nimble and figure out what's the best investment strategy for the short to medium term. And then an entity like BlackRock productizes that and then makes it available to people who have billions of dollars. So they've made this announcement that they're offering Bitcoin. That's what's happened? Well, yes. The way that they're offering it is also very like... Um, is it shady? Because how do you offer Bitcoin? You just go buy it. You don't need someone else to do it for you. <laughs> like that doesn't even make sense to me. Well, of course, if you don't understand it, you're like this like rich million billionaire. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Acquire some Bitcoin for me. And they're like, on it, chief. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what BlackRock does, right? So what a, what a great hustle. As a billionaire, I may not understand anything about Bitcoin, blockchain, UTXOs, secrets, wallets, lightning. I don't want, I don't know any of that, but I do know a lot of people seem to be buying this thing, which means it's probably going up. And And I want to be able to, at the next schmoozing event, say that I also have Bitcoin. It's like the new hotness. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could call it the new hotness. It's definitely not all wealthy people have it, Mm -hmm. right? And not all wealthy people have a lot of it Mm -hmm. who do have it. What BlackRock does and why they offer all of these different products to their clients is they're all wealth preserving products, Mm -hmm. right? You're either keeping up with inflation and, you know, earning like three to 5% if you want to be super conservative or you go into some more riskier things that have higher returns. But BlackRock as a private equity firm is really about preserving your capital. And so I think that cycling out of housing and into Bitcoin is really saying you will not preserve your capital in housing. That is not the play for the next five, 10 years. By offering this other service, they can then suggest or recommend to these high wealth individuals Well, based on the fundamentals, which is what we've been talking about on the podcast, (laughs) Bitcoin is the way to preserve your wealth for longer durations of time. And there is an almost guarantee of a higher return on your money. I mean, guarantee is always relative. It's like a hard (laughs) thing to say, but... You know, if anyone can explain the having to anyone, <laughs> it's like, just give it two years. Guaranteed return is always relative to like, what's your entry point, mm-hmm. right? So like if you entered at when it was just at 70K a couple months ago, that guaranteed return doesn't look so good. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's also telling that BlackRock is like making this announcement pretty much after Bitcoin bottomed number one. Number two, it's kind of had a sustained upward trend for the past 35 days. Bitcoin's up like 20% over the last like 30 days. Mm -hmm. So I would suspect that a lot of that appreciation is BlackRock acquiring Bitcoin Mm -hmm. (laughs) to then later sell to their clients as the price keeps going up. The price that BlackRock acquired their Bitcoin at will be in the low 20s and they'll start selling it to their clients in the high 20s. And they, they, they take that oh, spread. Oh, so you think like they're doing some internal buying and selling? I, and they're I, not, so that's how they're offering Bitcoin? I, I just don't understand how they're doing that. This is the trick about a, a company like BlackRock, which is if it was Fidelity, mm-hmm. Fidelity is a public company. And so things that they recommend to their clients and things that they're telling their employees to say to their clients, that's all kind of public information. BlackRock is a private equity firm. So like they don't have to tell the world what they're telling their clients. Mm-hmm. They're not required by law or anything like that. So the only reason, only way that you can really figure out what BlackRock is doing 
is really by the products that they offer their clients. Because you would assume that they're not going to offer a product to their clients that they're not recommending to their clients, Mm -hmm. right? So by offering Bitcoin to clients, they are saying like, we think you high wealth individuals who have entrusted your money with us should acquire Bitcoin. This is one of the products that we offer. But the mechanics of how they're offering it are nebulous to us. Right. Now, if we became billionaires and we pushed a billion dollars into BlackRock, we would find out very fast <laughs> how that works. But we don't need to. We can just buy Bitcoin you know, for billionaires. <laughs> exactly. If we were educated billionaires, yeah. right? So the- I want to be a dumb billionaire. <laughs> you know, Those seem like the most fun kinds. <laughs> I would argue that most billionaires are dumb. Yep. Sorry, I take that back. I take that back. If you're a billionaire, you're probably not dumb. But there's a lot of like millionaires that are dumb. Yeah. They just rode some coattails of someone else who did something big. But that being said, when BlackRock made this announcement, they are partnering with Coinbase. So Coinbase has its trading and buying Bitcoin services, but they also have this like large service called Coinbase Custody. They offer a service for basically high wealth individuals to hold large amounts of Bitcoin in very secure ways on Coinbase. And so BlackRock is partnering with Coinbase, meaning any Bitcoin that their clients buy through BlackRock services Mm -hmm. is eventually going to land and be custodied at Coinbase custody. You know, that's interesting because you were just saying that, you know, like a former Coinbase employee was arrested and then Kathy Woods has pulled her investment in Coinbase, but then BlackRock is like partnering up with them. So Coinbase is still doing okay. It's all relative, right? Coinbase's business model is predicated on transaction volume. Mm -hmm. So they make fees every time someone buys and sells any crypto asset Mm -hmm. through their through their platform. So when there's a crypto crash Mm -hmm. and then just the volume goes down, Coinbase loses money. This custody product, I would argue, is how they can regain some of that revenue. It's a completely different offering. It has a completely different business model and it's not necessarily predicated on volume. And so BlackRock and Coinbase kind of have a, you know, it's almost like a partnership made in heaven, which is we want to offer Bitcoin services to our customers, but we don't really have any of the infrastructure to do that. Coinbase is really trying to get into that high net worth clientele. So it's like this VIP service and it's claiming to be a really secure way to store your Bitcoin, but how is it more secure than how it's storing any other crypto on their exchange? It's very similar to how MicroStrategies and Michael Saylor holds their Bitcoin. Okay. Right. It's multi-sig. Okay. It's for institutional investors. It's designed for like a large corporation that has a CEO and a CFO and all that fun Mm -hmm. stuff. Like it's a multi-sig setup, right? Coinbase on its own has a hard time convincing high net worth individuals to come to Coinbase.com and buy Bitcoin, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah, they just yeah. did a commercial for the Super Bowl. Yeah, BlackRock yeah. doesn't do commercials for the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah. So what BlackRock brings to Coinbase is that high net worth clientele. Mm-hmm. Not all of their clientele is going to buy Bitcoin, but a percentage of it will. And not all of the percentage of people who buy Bitcoin are going to hold it for a long period of time. But of the people of BlackRock high net worth clientele who buy Bitcoin in the next like 30 to 90 days, who hold it for multiple halvings Mm -hmm. when those people buy they buy in the tens or the hundreds of millions of dollars for purchases so whatever they buy is going to be setting a multi-million multi-hundred million dollar 
floor for Bitcoin. So do you think that the price of Bitcoin is about to jump? I don't necessarily think that it's going to jump, but I think let's fast forward like four or five years and there's another major crash or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, we just saw a crash from 70 to 17. Mm -hmm. I think that it'd be very hard for it to push through 20 to 22 the next time that this happens mm -hmm. because there's going to be so many of these high net worth individuals that bought like $100 million worth of Bitcoin today mm -hmm. and said, that's budget dust. I'll look at that in 10 years. Yeah, They won't even be paying attention to when these crashes are happening because to them, that's just an allocation that they're going to check back in on in 10 years. But like moves like this should then make regular folk like us feel more comfortable maybe buying a lot right now of Bitcoin or converting our dollars to Bitcoin right now because we're seeing that this is the new floor. I, I'm not saying that Bitcoin can't go lower. Right. Like, yeah, I it, know you're hesitant to say things like that. It it does what it wants to do. But in order for it, assuming that this scenario happens where like four or five years after BlackRock's been offering it to their clientele, mm -hmm. there's another crash. There would have to be enough concern in the market that people who put aside $100 million six years ago need that money right now and have gone through everything else and are selling their Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. Or it might just be that since Bitcoin's the most liquid, it's the first thing that they're selling. But you put an allocation aside and said you were going to hold it for 10 years. And then six years later, you're selling it. I would argue that something major is happening. High net worth individuals don't behave that emotionally with their money. That's why they have someone like BlackRock who advises them and puts that barrier that says, look, 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 look. You don't need to sell, so don't sell, right? right? Whereas like individual retail traders and investors, there's they have to check themselves, right? So like you have to stop yourself from going into your trading account and pressing sell. I know. They got to go press sell and then someone's going to call them and be like, "Uh, sir, someone's trying to sell your Bitcoin." Yeah. Is Can this I you? Down? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's 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 why I say like there's a new floor yeah. which is these high net worth people that have a check before they can sell. So pushing past this price point will be harder next time. So what you're saying is, bye. <laughs> what I'm saying is this is another event that should build conviction, right? Like up until now, very wealthy people have been saying Bitcoin is a scam, it's a Ponzi scheme, whatever. And now the largest private equity firm on the planet is offering it as an asset to their clients to buy. That's the change that has happened in 13 years. Boom, mic drop. Yeah, I just like continue to find it so interesting how all of this stuff is happening. I don't see any of it talked about in like regular media, mainstream media, whatever you want to call it, except the headlines of like, oh, the value of Bitcoin dropped, right? A couple of months ago, that's all you would see. But now things like this are happening that are huge shifts in the financial investment world and people are just silent. And so I wonder if it means that very wealthy people are like trying to move in silence and stack their sets <laughs> without anyone knowing before the price does jump. That's exactly what's happening. There's multiple types of wealthy people. Mm -hmm. When you say like it's not being talked about on the mainstream media, yes, there are probably wealthy people who consume the mainstream media. But I would put those wealthy people in that group of people where I said they're millionaires, but they're dumb. Mm -hmm. Right. 
if you are a millionaire and you're getting your advice from Jim Cramer, you're doing it wrong. <sighs> yeah. Right? So You're tacky. <laughs> right. What you see in the mainstream media is not necessarily what's good for anyone. Yeah. If you happen to be wealthy and are still consuming mainstream media, that's just a fast way for you to become unwealthy. Mm-hmm. If you did everything that Jim Cramer said, you would be broke. I think someone like ran the chart one time and yeah. like he's down like yeah. a lot. Always. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Like how much are they scrutinizing what they're seeing and understanding that there's like a strategy or motive behind the information that's being pushed out to the masses? Exactly. And so it's the same thing we saw with the housing market. They were already buying up the houses before the news stories were hitting saying, oh, private equity is buying up all the houses yeah. in these cities. Yeah. They had been at it for like six months, nine months, mm-hmm. a year. That's how they... They're not going to put out a press release. They're not going to put out a press release <laughs> that says we're going to corner the housing market in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. So like the wealthy people, they take their money and they give it to someone like BlackRock and say, I want in on the next scheme that you're doing. And I want, it, I want you to do it for me because I don't have the time and the bandwidth to organize the scheme... That you're about to execute. But with Bitcoin, you don't have to be a wealthy person to get in on it. And it's not a scheme. Exactly. So it's like Bitcoin is the scheme that the regular folk figured out first. Yeah. You know, the cypherpunks, the the guys that, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto and the original Bitcoiners, like they reverse engineered the broken system Mm -hmm. into Bitcoin. And then they just had to do the job of explaining to other people you know this is like the anti-system. Yeah. And as people figure it out, you start winning. People who are in the most need of breaking out of the system are the ones who got it the earliest. And as I've said on this podcast many times, there are a lot of really wealthy Bitcoiners that ain't saying shit. You get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. Before we go, we got to say, if you're listening to us on another platform other than Fountain and want to support the show, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com support and check out all the other ways it's possible to let us know that you love the show. Well, let's give some shout outs to our Fountain users who have been giving us boosts. Hello there. MacTub786. In Time BTC. Changbang. Soyboy BTC. BTC Photo. Jimmy Burr. Mere Mortals Podcast, Nick, P Ninja, Canada Smile, Rick, T Joel N39, RP77, Hunters F770, Rex for Days, Stacking Sats, and Mandalorian Prepper. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.